some of you recognize <laughs> some of us recognize that one. Okay. Wow. While we were singing, I, I share the part of what happened for me during the worship time, the singing time, because this is all worship, right? The whole thing, start to finish, is worship when we gather. I have this uh, just kind of a mental picture. I won't say it's a vision. I'm, I'm kind of picturesque in my thinking, so I see a lot of things. I try to describe them to you. But I saw this one guy, and he was, in, he was working on a wall, and in front of him was a rather large stone, almost like biblical times, building a temple, so to speak. Quite a large stone, and he had his little tool there. I don't know what it was, but it looked like a little flat scraping device, and he was kind of chipping away at the seam and perfecting its, the seal between the two stones he was working on. And as his little tool caught a kind of a beat, in his mind, it set off a, a little tune in his heart. He started to respond to his, his thinking, you know? And he, he just was by himself there, <clears throat> although there were hundreds of people down this wall working like he was. And then I had it, it, it occurred to me that this was happening in heaven. I thought, oh, this is in heaven, and we all have something to do there. And he was working on his part, and as his, his chinking, got into his spirit, he started singing. He just went like we did. And he was just smiling and enjoying himself. And he thought, this is heaven. I'm working. I'm in heaven. You can just kind of sing whenever you want to. And it caught on. And as he glanced over his shoulder, the next guy was smiling at him. And he said, yeah, let's do this. And he started singing with him. And then it just kept going. And pretty soon, Everybody had laid their tools down, and they had just gone into worshiping God. And there was a freedom in this moment in my mind because it's like we have eternity. There's, there's no measurement. There's no measurement on eternity, so it's not like we're in a hurry to get the job done. We can get back to it. It's still going to be there. But he is worthy, and they just began to stop and sing. And, but, but the thing that struck my mind is that they were they were all smiling. I mean, they were all very, very happy, like this is what it's about. I've often thought that for men, we particularly can have a harder time enjoying the thought of heaven. Guys, because we're like doers. And heaven is often portrayed as being an unending worship service, right? like you're singing 24-7 and some of you don't have a good voice and it's hard for you to think about that. It's like, I got to do this forever? I don't think that's really the, the layout of heaven. I mean, God's creative. He is eternal. It's unending. It's, uh, I'm sure there's going to be plenty to do other than just sing. I figured at least two or three men would say amen about that. Amen. I mean, I guess I'm not getting the point across very well that there may be other things we can occupy ourselves with in his presence. But as that song fest broke out along the wall, it was like, yeah, we're doing something. We're building something, and we're gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go on for eternity. And, but we can stop any time we want and just begin to worship him. 
then the thought of coming together at his feet. I don't know what that's going to look like in a heavenly situation with literally millions upon millions of believers gathered at once at his feet. Here's a, here's a sport that there's no, uh, I've never seen this sport timed. You know, you have racers that run races and they break the tape by tenths of a second, right? And they win or lose by maybe a tenth of a second in a long race, even in a marathon. I wonder if there'll be a, a, a competition for who gets to their knees the fastest. <laughs> oh, surely beat them by a tenth of a second. Wouldn't that be something? Hey, this is the competition of heaven. To our knees. Boom. Oh, you got it. But we all get to do it. It's not about having the best time on a watch as it is the best time in his presence. So I tend to, to look at it differently. When somebody says, aren't you looking towards heaven? Aren't you looking forward to heaven? I think if we were honest with ourselves, a lot of us would say, well, not really. Because I'm working really hard at staying alive here. Right? I think I've mentioned this to a few of them before, but the elderly couple that died at the same time, and they're in heaven, and they're showing them around. And they turn to the guy and say, look, check this out. And there's a huge house. And he goes, this, this tour guide, probably an angel, right? This is a joke, in case you're wondering. This is extra biblical. <laughs> he throws open the slider door, which they had to move past the buffet to get to the slider. And he slides the door open, and there's this sprawling golf course out in his backyard. And the guy sees that, and he grabs his hat, and he throws it on the floor, and kicks it across the room. And his wife says, what, what, what? What's the matter? He said, if you hadn't been feeding me all that health food, I could have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes we work at staying here too long. It's going to be good, whatever it is. Right? It's better than here. This isn't all bad, but it's better than here. Amen. So I'd like to be one of those guys on the wall this morning. I felt like we all were. You know, that we just kind of got that beat. Thanks to the worship team. I was like, yeah, let's sing this. You know, I've often said that if you have a good voice during the, during the singing part of our worship time, that's a moment for you to use that gift to bless God, right? Give back. If you've got a bad voice, it's your chance to get even. <laughs> just sing anyway. <laughs> and if you sing loud enough, he may just anoint you. <laughs> Change it a little bit. Imagine with me for a moment, which seems to be all I do is imagine things. Continue to imagine with me for a moment that you're amongst a million to three million people. Have you ever been in a crowd of over a million people? Anybody? Some of us were on the, like I was on the mall in Washington, D.C. with the Promise Keepers. A million guys, at least, stretched from the Capitol building all the way back to the Washington Monument, jumbotrons everywhere. My space was two by two, and we were standing with guys like this and praying and worshiping all day, and I thought, this is a million people. 
Well, imagine how many have been to the mall there in DC. I mean, it's a mile, right, from the Capitol to the Washington Monument, and then another mile from there to the Lincoln Memorial. Imagine this whole thing filled with people. <coughs> now add their tents, because they're going to need a place to sleep. And add their flocks, because they needed to bring something that would produce things to eat. And so there's a little <coughs> going on around you, and some <coughs> and there's hustle, and there's bustle, and there's little fire stoves, and I mean, there's two to three million people gathered in a valley in the Bible, just below Mount Nebo, which is where Moses went up to die. And this is on the east side of the Jordan River facing out towards Jericho, and there's a huge valley, the Valley of Beth Peor, and there's millions of people, and you and I are there. We're dusty. We've been traveling. We've been walking in our little sandaled feet and our flowing garments, grabbing our sheep and our stuff and our tents and our kids. And we finally come to this place and we're about to go into the promised land. Our people have been in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. Under, they went in in a good way. We've heard the stories. I mean, we're 400 years beyond that, but they went in good. And they had the land of Goshen, a place of grazing and flocks, and a special place just for them that had been provided by Pharaoh through Joseph. In fact, for the Pharaoh, it was a pretty good pick because that plot of ground, and you may have, you know, if you believe your Bible, you believe your Bible? Yeah. You believe it all the way from the table of contents to maps? <laughs> you probably got some pictures in there. If you want to look at that part of your Bible, you'll find these things. The land of Goshen was almost a barrier between Egypt and the rest of the world out to the east. So if anybody was going to attack Egypt, they would have got the Israelites first to come in. So it was not a bad move for Pharaoh to give them that plot of ground. They didn't like that plot of ground anyway because they weren't uh, agrarians to speak of. They, they didn't raise flocks, but the, when uh, Israel showed up there, Jacob showed up there, Joseph said, tell the Pharaoh that you keep sheep and he'll put you out in Goshen. You'll have it all to yourself because they don't really like shepherds here in Egypt. And over 400 years, that small clan of people grew into millions. They went in pretty nicely, but coming out, it was a battle, right? It was all the plagues, lice and frogs and hail and darkness and death of the firstborn and all these plagues that came on Egypt and finally Pharaoh said, get out of here. And that ended with the showdown at the Red Sea and all the Egyptians drowning. And I've heard this more often again that, you know, people want to try and figure out where that happened. Nobody's really sure. I'm not sure. But some of the explanations like to tell us that where the Moses went across and part of the water was only a few inches deep. Right, and if you haven't heard that, please don't believe it. Is it but if you do believe it, um, then believe secondarily the miracle that God performed when he drowned an entire army in six inches of water. <laughs> Either way, it's a miracle. Amen. And so the showdown ends there. God says to Israel, you'll never see those guys again. You're mine. I'm taking you home. 11 days, it takes 11 days 
to go from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, 11 days. To go from the place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments up on the mountain, 11 days by Mount Seir to get to Kadesh Barnea, which is at the south of the land of promise. They traveled that 11 days, and they were staring down their promise. They were looking into the land, and this is where God was going to finally give them what had been promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. They were going to go in and possess the land. This is all found in the book of Deuteronomy, by the way. And what happened? Well, the story turns a little sad right here because they turned what we call a theocracy. You know what a theocracy is? Theocracy is where God's the ruler. Unless you happen to live in that one guy's house that said to his kids, this is not a democracy, this is a theocracy in this house. And my name's Theo. <laughs> but the idea is that God is in charge of everything. He's the ruler, he's the king. Theo, Theo means God. Theocracy. They changed the theocracy that they were living under into a democracy. And it even sounded good to Moses. Because they said, let's send in some spies to see what this place is like. Great idea. Let's grab one guy from each tribe and send them in. And as the story unfolds, as you recall, they come back, the 12 come back, and 10 say, we're in big trouble. These guys are giants. They got walled cities. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. But Joshua and Caleb say, are you kidding? We're well able to take these bums. This is our place. God's given it to us. He's going to fight for us. And God is displeased with their response. You know, democracy doesn't work well where God needs to be in charge. And so they upended his theocracy in that moment. In fact, where there should have been faith and obedience, there came in fear and rebellion. We're still in the first chapter of Deuteronomy. And just for your, your sake of seeing where we're going today, we're in the first chapter of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy has 34 chapters, and I'm preaching the entire book. <laughs> Nervous laughter. I'm wondering, he could be tr telling the truth. Pastor Rob wants to start a series, is going to start a series after Mother's Day on the book of Joshua. We shared that with me, and I knew I would be standing in for him this morning because he's not standing at all very well. I thought, let me back up a little. I don't want to start his series, but let me back up and lay a, a setting of what, what brought us to Joshua, which is the book of Deuteronomy. And for your sake, if you want to know this, Leviticus is really a book that's written for the priesthood. You know, you all, all of you in your annual Bible reading, you just love getting Leviticus, don't you? It's like, man, i got to get through this book. But it's a book to the priesthood. Deuteronomy is really a book to the layperson or to the average person. It's called the second reading of the law. Uh, in ancient Jewish uh, tradition, they called it Devarim, the book of words, the words, because it starts out by saying these are the words which, which Moses spoke to all Israel. Bless you. That brings up a theological question for me. 
if you're in church and you spend a whole lot of time worshiping and you sneeze, does someone still need to bless you? <laughs> or are you just blessed because you sneezed in the right spot? I don't know. It's a theological dilemma. Anyway, bless you, just in case. In chapter 1, verse 26, there's this verse that says, Nevertheless, you would not go up but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. I'm sorry, I don't relate, but I think I might had I lived with them that after being provided for in the wilderness for 40 years, with a pillar of, of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire by night leading millions of people and manna from heaven and constant supply from his very throne room to say, it's all been a trick. He just brought us out here to kill us with the Amorites. There's a disconnect there somewhere, right? It's easy for us to condemn them. We weren't there. But it's still, when I read it, hard to imagine that this group of people still hadn't figured out that God was helping them all along the way. So instead of faith and obedience, they respond with fear and rebellion. And uh, the Lord gets a little upset. He doesn't enjoy this. And in verse 34 of chapter 1, says, The Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and by the way, Moses is saying these things to the children of Israel. The Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give to your fathers. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he will see it. And to him and his children, I'm giving the land on which he walked because he wholly followed the Lord. Wow. In chapter 2, verse 14, these first few chapters, Moses is rehearsing for the whole nation, these millions standing in this valley. He's rehearsing to them what happened over the last, you know, 40 years ago, what happened. He's bringing them up to speed. There's a reason for that. And I hope I get to that point to tell you what that reason is. But in chapter 2 it says, And the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of the Zered was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp just as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. I hope you've got the picture. 11 days they make it from Sinai and the getting the law from God and the, up to the land of promise. They turn the theocracy into a democracy. They offer God fear and rebellion instead of faith and obedience. And they turn around and they have to walk away from their promised land because of the unbelief. And because of the unbelief, they wander around this one small geographic area for 38 years, waiting 
for all of these men who had unbelief and the, war, the fighting crew to die off. That means no one really probably alive that came out of Egypt was still, none of the fighting men were still alive. It was a brand new generation. And then God says, okay, now we can go in. Now we're going to go in and have what I promised you. And he says, I'm preparing you to enter into the land of promise. You know, I was typing this into my computer and something interesting occurred. When I typed in promised land, my computer wanted to capitalize it for me. You know how it corrects things? Isn't it great to have all these electronic things correcting us all the time? You know, what's funny is as I'm typing, I'm wondering why is it, it isn't giving me the words like my phone does when I text. Come on, let's go. Let's get this moving. And I thought, even the world in their spell checkers know that this is a capital P, promised land. <laughs> that God was involved. It deserves its own capitalized name. So God says to Moses, okay, rehearse the law, rehearse the story once again for this group because this is the group that's going to go in to the promised land. That's the setting of Deuteronomy. And he begins to rehearse again to them um, the whole law. In fact, it's been done by better than me, certainly, uh, parceled out the whole book of Deuteronomy that, that it has sections that cover the Ten Commandments all the way through. It explodes the Ten Commandments and reminds the nation, these are the things that God told us on the mount that we should live by. And we're going to go in, and these are the words that we're going to live by when we go into the promised land. And he, he tells Moses, rehearse it with everybody. Make sure everybody's aware. And so Deuteronomy means the second reading of the law, or the second law. Here's something that maybe you're unaware of in chapter 17. And every now and then I want to give you something you can take home. In chapter 17, there's a section, verses 14 through 20, that's called, in my Bible, Principles Governing Kings. And one of the principles in verse 18 says, Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. When he becomes king, he should go to the Levites and say, I need the book of the law. I need to make my own copy. And he was personally responsible as the leader of God's people to write handwritten his own copy of God's words that were going to govern the nation. I hope you see something of value in there. I see this. God was not giving up on his theocracy, even though there would be a king, a monarch, that would rule over his people he wanted to make sure that that leader understood what he thought was right and that they were to lead from his word, not from their own thoughts. So you, you become king, grab the law, write yourself a copy, keep it with you, and read it every day. It wasn't to be a relic. It wasn't to be a talisman. It wasn't to be some good luck charm that you kept in the saddlebag of your pony. It was something you were to write and to read every day.
says that in verse 19. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. Turn with me back to chapter 4. What was instructed? What was Moses to instruct them in reading the law? Listen to chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you, and your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people's who will hear all these statutes and say, wow, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? And whatever reason, for whatever reason, we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Now right here I'm hearing Pastor Floyd's speaking in my ear. He's probably not saying this as he's sitting over there. Welcome home. They've been gone for a long time. But he told me, he said, if you, if when you're preaching and you're, and you're drilling, if you don't hit oil in the first 20 minutes, quit boring. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> so up to here, I feel like I've been a little monotone, a little law-driven, a little, uh-huh. I'm going to try and hit some oil, okay? Don't fall asleep on me yet. Give me just another minute or two. Background takes a bit. <coughs> History lessons take a bit. But the setting is important. What was he instructing them? These are the words to live by because you're going in. What was the danger? Well, you're going into a new land. You're going to find new foes and you're going in under new leadership. They had a lot of new going on. And God was trying to commit to them an understanding that his word was the one thing that was going to make a difference to them in the future. Holding on to him and his ways, holding on to the instructions and the delights of his heart was the one thing that would keep them solid all the days of their life. This is all he was trying to tell them. He said, and so you take heed to yourself. Be diligent about it. Take good 
you know, get a good grip on this project. Hold on to my words. Hold on to me and teach them to your children and your children's children. You have to pass this on through the generations. It's absolutely critical because you're coming into a new land. You've never been there. Oh, I promised it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they traversed through there. I, I said I would give it to them and to their descendants, and that's you. You're going to get to go in and live there now. You're going to live in towns you didn't build. You're going to sleep in beds you didn't make. You're going to harvest gardens you didn't plant. You're going to have it all because I promised this to them, and I am a covenant-keeping God. I make covenant, and I keep covenant. He's saying, here's your part of the covenant agreement. Follow my ways. Learn my words. Teach them to your kids. Let your kids teach them to their kids. Make it come out in three and four generations down the line. Make it stick because this is the only thing that makes you different from the rest of the world is that you live by my words. And other people will say, wow, have you ever known such a great nation who has God so close to them? who responds to their every request? Have you ever seen anything like this? No other nation had it. The key words in the book of Deuteronomy, and if you've got an introduction to the book of Deuteronomy in your study Bible, it'll probably tell you something like this. Here's the key words throughout the whole book. One is covenant. God's covenant. God's covenant. God's covenant. You know what a covenant is? A covenant is not a contract. A contract says, if you do something and I do something, we'll have the same thing together. If you quit doing your part, I'm out of the deal. That's a contract. You break the contract, you walk away. If you break the contract on your car, they come and pick it up. Right? We're your house. We're near the contract you make. That's why marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. A covenant says, I'm going to do this for you. Period. End of sentence. And that's what God did for us. You can't save yourself. I'll send my son Jesus, period. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. The covenant's on me to perform. When we walk into the covenant of marriage, we say, it's not 50-50. You say, I love you 100%, always, forever, end of time. That's what we say. That's what we should say. Are you enjoying that? Memories pressed between the pages of my mind. Covenant. God said, I made a covenant. The other, another word that's key throughout the scripture of Deuteronomy, obey. Key word, obey. This is my way. Obey. You think God asks us to obey because he's mean? Well, you're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about you with your kids, probably. I just said obey. <laughs> God says obey because it leads to life. <laughs> you know, Jesus said it a different way in John 10, 10. He said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the only reason he ever shows up is to take you out. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Listen to me. Follow my ways. Obey my commands. Love one another, Jesus said. Love one another and so fulfill the law of Christ. Listen and obey because it leads to life. 
which is another key word in Deuteronomy, is blessed. And the other is cursed. One final word that's a key word throughout the book of Deuteronomy is remember. Oh, this morning when we were worshiping, we came to one of those spots where it was just kind of relaxed. And if that was new to you or uncomfortable to you, certainly we would apologize. That we're not here to make you uncomfortable in that sense, in the moment of experience of worship with God, responsiveness to him. We would love for you to enter into that every time and just enjoy his presence and let him speak to you. It was all I could do to stay in my seat because I wanted to come up here and whisper right now in this situation, in this moment, when it's so we're so away from the world. Go back through your memory and just pick out a few of the places where God saved your life, where God blessed you. Remember, remember the song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Some of us have lived a little longer than the rest. I include myself in that group. Generously so. And even though our memory might not be sharp as a tack all the time, it's not hard for us to close our eyes and quiet our spirit and say, think about all the times that God took care of me. Makes me weep. I mean, it does. It touches me deeply to think about not deserving that. <laughs> How little I... I can't deserve any of it, but he just said, I'm a covenant God, and I decided to bless you. I decided to keep you alive. I think of all the angels that have been pinched between my car and the one next to me, just <laughs> protecting me. <laughs> oh, yes. Or how many times you came around that curve and you thought this was the last curve of your life, but it wasn't somehow, and you didn't still to this day understand how it ever straightened out and your heart pounded for a few minutes afterwards and researched the moment backwards and every time you went back to think about it, you think I should be dead, but I'm not. And then, but God, the covenant keeping God who loves us, he encourages us to remember, remember, think it through. Covenant, obey, remember, blessed, cursed. Those are five key words through the book of Deuteronomy. Again, he's preparing an entire nation to go into the land of promise. Why is it important to us? Because we too experience at times new lands, new foes, new temptations. Amen? It's, it's pertinent to us. One of the great themes in Deuteronomy that we find is that when God says, I'm taking you into the promised land, Israel didn't deserve the land. It didn't belong to them. The land belonged to God. Right? So this may seem like a simple point, but you don't want to miss it. He wasn't saying, okay, it's time for me to lead you into your land, which you deserve and own. Wasn't that way. He said, I'm the covenant God. When I was walking through here with Abraham and walking back through here with Isaac and running away through here with Jacob, 
I constantly reminded them as they, and for me, there's a map of Israel right here. Sorry, you can't see that. It's right here. Sea of Galilee's over here. Dead Sea's down here. Egypt's over here. It's flat. It's right here. Can't you see it? <laughs> Abraham came from way over here, Ur the Chaldees, Iraq, of all places. Came up through the Fertile Crescent and then down through Israel. As he went down through Israel, God said, this is all going to be yours. Every place you're walking, I'm going to give to you. He never saw it. Isaac, I'm going to give you this place because I promised it to your dad. He didn't get it either. Jacob, this is for you and your people. He didn't get it either yet. And in fact, he ends up leaving there to go live in Egypt. Reunites with Joseph. And they lived there for 400 years. He doesn't get to go there either. Joseph was smart enough to say this. Hey, listen. When I die, wrap me up the way the Egyptians do. Mummify me and put me in one of them little containers. And when you leave here to go to the promised land, because you will go. God is a covenant-keeping God. You will go there. Take my body with you. Don't leave me down here in Egypt. What is Egypt the type of in the Bible? It's the type of the world. When you read about Egypt, you're reading about things that may concern worldly things, right? But the land of Canaan is like heaven, the land of promise. It's where we're all going. We're all going to get to go in because he's the God of covenant. He said he would take us in. There's nothing I can do to get there on my own. Grace is powerful. His love is overwhelming. And he had said to Israel, this is my promised gift to you. That's why you're going in. I'm going to take you to give you the promise. Hence, we call it the promised land. Chapter 7, verse 7 says, The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And it continues. One was land. He's bringing them into land. The second thing is love. God did it because he loved them. God's doing it for you today because he loves you. And not because you're big and you're mightier in number and you're more important or you're better looking or you're smarter or whatever. Most of us don't qualify on those grounds anyway. We're more like the First Corinthians 1 group. Not many smart, not many handsome, not many, you know. Those are the ones that calls. Yeah, I'm pretty transparent most of the time. The other day I was looking in the mirror. And I looked up at myself. I, maybe you don't do these things. Enjoy me for a second. I looked in the mirror and I tilted my head and I said, how do you spell dork? Because <laughs> I had done something really stupid. And I was feeling bad about it. And so I, I talked to myself one time. You spell dork, you dork. <laughs> Isaiah still says, 
that all my righteousness is like filthy rags. So I'm just acknowledging the dork in the mirror. He doesn't deserve anything. But he gets everything. Such unreasonableness belongs only to God. He is unreasonable in his love for us, to me. It will be nice to be there for eternity and taking on the wall and singing hallelujah, but every now and then I'm going to raise my hand and ask the question, why me? Why did you love us the way you loved us? But he demonstrates it even in this book of Deuteronomy. Even under the law, God was saying, I'm doing it because of my great love for you. Actually, I'm doing it for you because of my great love for your grandpa and your great-grandpa and your great-great-grandpa, the one I called out of Ur of the Chaldees. And I made a promise to him, and I'm keeping it to you as his descendants. You get to go into the promised land. Hey, what do you think? In maybe three million people, do you think there's anybody in that group that wasn't really a believer in what was happening? They just kind of grew up in the wilderness. All the kids were born in the wilderness, grew up in the wilderness, wandering around. Where are we going, Dad? Don't really know. Just follow that cloud. <laughs> hey, Dad, the cloud turned into a pillar of fire. Yeah, if it moves, follow that too. Okay? Here, have a little manna. We'll talk about it. This is what they grew up under. Wandering, 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 wandering. Hey, have we been here before? This place looks familiar. <laughs> yeah, that's our trash pile right over there from the last time. Oh, yeah, we've dug the latrines out on this side. And Let's go around again. What do you say? Takes another six months to get there. Deuteronomy calls to obedience. I wrote the word loyalty because I needed to alliterate a little bit. The land is love and loyalty. Deuteronomy calls Israel to remember what God has done for them, especially in their redemption from Egypt. Such recollections were to be helpful for the present day, but also for the future, how God would act in the final day of judgment in history. His promises provide covenant supply that we cannot obtain in any other way. He requires faith toward his faithfulness, obedience to his commands, and a stirring of remembrance concerning what he has already accomplished on our behalf. Remembering, in this context, remembering was an act that both recalled the past and demanded future action. It was this kind of remembering we're talking, not just thoughtfulness of the past, but based on that remembrance, now God say, okay, step forward. Take another step of faith. Step into my faithfulness. Step into my loyalties toward you. Step into what my promise has been for you based on what you understand. From when you're feeling shaky, go back and look and remember. God did this and God provided that. And this and this and this. And there's just almost no end to counting what he has done for us, right? And he says, okay, based on that, take the next step. You can do it. That's what it's there for. And in the book of Deuteronomy, he's calling a whole nation, remember, remember. You know, just before they got to this place, they had to go through a couple of battles with a couple of kings on the east side of the Jordan River and on the east side of the Dead Sea. They took out a couple of kings. But as they were approaching those areas of geography, God spoke to Moses and said, look, 
when you get there, don't engage them. I'm going to give them into your hand. Okay. When you get there, just tell them you want to buy some food and water and stay on the road and go right past them. That's what you'll ask for. Okay. We'll do that. And so they get there and they say, uh, just sell us a little food and a little water. We'll walk right by. We'll stay on the road. We won't, ever, we won't get off the path. We won't attack your people. We're just going through. And the king says, oh, no, you're not. And he starts a fight with them. And God says, this is the part where I told you, Moses, I'm going to give them into your hand. They took their entire nation away from them. And then when they got done with that one, there was another one up the road a little further, and they did that one too. Now they're turning and they're facing to go in to the promised land. I'm sorry, the map's over here, isn't it? Yeah. And into the promised land. And what God says to them is, remember how it happened with that king first and then the next king second? And you wiped them out and you took all their stuff as spoils. See that little sheep that's walking next to you? That he used to live over there. And he's yours now, part of the plunder. Remember how I did that for you? I gave them into your hand. You didn't beat them up and take it. I gave them to you. Now you're going to go into this land. There's going to be new foes, new enemies, new temptations, new problems. But I will give this land to you in the same way. And the one time they got their tails kicked was when they decided to do it on their own. In a town... This is one of those Sunday school Bible questions. In a town that doesn't have any consonants. Work on that at the rest of the service. <laughs> In fact, this little piece of chapter 3 says, Moses speaks, as I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. Boy, there's something you want to remember when you're in trouble, right? Ooh, I'm not fighting for myself. He's fighting for me. I don't have to do this on my own. He will do it with me. Hmm? Obedience leads to blessing, which means interpreted here, victory over their enemies. Disobedience led to cursing, and they lost. Rebellion leads to defeat. So I'm going to rush through the last page, okay? Somebody say amen. Help me. How about this? Say, hurry up. That, that might be better, huh? Hey, hurry up. Okay, I'm going to hurry up. I have a question written in my notes. How should we live? Why does this matter? This is the Old Testament. This is the law. This is a bunch of people we're not even related to. After all, I mean, we're Gentiles. These are Jews. We don't mess with these people, right? We're not them. Well, there's plenty for us to get out of where God led them. There's lots of pertinent information here for us today. If we have a promised land, God would like to take us into it also. But let me caution us on this point. This is an American point. This is an individualism point. A lot of us interpret scripture and say, I've got a promised land. You think it's all about me. 
It's my promised land. God promised me something. Well, that's good. I'm glad he did. But what does he promise to us? You know, this worship experience we had this morning, I didn't do on my own. I thanked the worship team. They helped me. They did their part. They got us into that place where we enjoyed being there for those moments together in his presence. It doesn't happen like that at my house by myself. I need the body. You need the body. We need each other. And he has a promise for us as a group of people, Amen. as a clan and as kingdom, as a family in this community of, of people who've gathered together to call upon his name in unison and in unity. He has direction and purpose for us. And it must be somewhat different than the ones that he's spoken to other congregations in this community. But together, the communities of this valley, the believers in communities, must have a promise and a task that he wants to lead us into. What would it require of us? Obedience. Not turning it into a democracy. Leaving it as a theocracy hearing what his promise is, remembering the past and saying, now we're going to go forward and we're going to go into our capital P promised land. I have some promises that are still unfulfilled in my own life. I have some prophetic words that God has spoken to me that have yet to be fulfilled. That's exciting news for me. It's like, okay, you know, it's like getting on an airplane. You know, and the guy's next to me, his knuckles are like white. He's like, sweat's pouring down his face. I said, are you afraid to fly? And he says, no, I fly all the time. <laughs> I said, well, man, you look like you're worried it's your day. He goes, nah, I'm not worried about that at all. I'm worried it might be your day. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a promise. When I get on a plane, I know I've hijacked it. Everybody's going to be fine because I have unfulfilled promises. It's kind of like Paul. He got bit by that snake. He went, oh, too bad, wrong guy. And he shook the snake off into the fire. He said, I'm going to Rome. You're not stopping me. Got a call. Got a promise. Got an anointing. Got to go. Snake, you bit the wrong guy. You die. How about that for a venomous reversal? So when the devil comes after you and says, you're not going to make it, I'm going to take you out, say, I'm sorry, i got some promises that are unfulfilled and you don't get to play. God's on the throne and I'm following him. I'm going to obey him and I'm not giving in to some democracy that's going to debate with you on whether or not it's right. I'm going to believe what he said and I'm going in. And I want to be with a group of people who have the same kind of motivation and desire to say, we're going to go in and do what God wants us to do. We're going to be who God wants us to be together. Quick glance down your row at the people next to you and say, well, I guess I got to go with them after all. <laughs> How should we live? Let me say these five things to the leaders of a congregation, and this would apply in my mind to any group of leaders of any congregation. How should we live? Leaders, please. Make sure you know God personally and as a group. Know who he is and know what he has spoken to this people. Don't form a democracy. Keep it a theocracy. Let God be in charge. Remember his covenant with us. Inspire faith among us. 
provide direction for us. And please demonstrate courage. This was Joshua's first command as the leader who was the new leader taking them into the promised land. Be strong, be courageous. Do that for us. If you do that for us, we'll follow you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> I'm forcing it. <laughs> what about us as family leaders? The rest of us who may be not leaders in the congregation. You know, when Moses was up on, on uh, this is back, backtracking a little bit, he's on Mount Sinai, he's got the law, and God says, I'm going to take you in. He says, this people's just, there's too many of them. I can't do this. I can't do this by myself. So what did he do? He arranged them in groups of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And he put leaders in charge of all those groups. And they all worked together, doing their part of leadership to get everybody in. Hey, there's, a, there's some instruction there. But we as clan leaders, family leaders, what is our job? Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the great Shema, Hero Israel. The Lord our God is one. And then he goes on to say, teach these things to your kids and to your kids' kids and to your kids' kids' kids and as many as you can reach, put it into them. That's our responsibility is to train our children, to train our clan, to find the ways of God and imbibe them into each member of our family. Okay, Deuteronomy, final chapter. I told you I was going to go all the way through. By the way, I figured out the town with no consonants yet. AI, there you go. AI. AI whooped up on us just after we took Jericho. Okay. Chapter 32, Deuteronomy, verse 44. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. By the way, Look at a song. There's one for you. Rob Parley and the worship team. Chapter 32 is a song. And it's a long song. And it doesn't always look like a happy song. But it's a song. Moses taught to the whole country and told them to sing it. It's a good way to remember things by singing. Do you think? You say, well, I'm not sure. Try this one. A, B, C, D, E, F. It works. Or you could turn it into Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Hey, the wheels on the bus go. Oh, sorry. <laughs> round, round, round. Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to Israel. He, he did it. He did Deuteronomy. Told them everything. And he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you because it is your life. And by this word, you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over Jordan to possess. It's not futile. These words bring life. And other places all through the book remind us, right? 
Proverbs even says, these words are life to your whole body. I like the old King James says, no, it'll be life to your navel. <laughs> Sorry. It's just stuff I memorized way back when. <laughs> wow, that's cool. The center of my being. I have a holy navel, don't you? All the words are your life. No, all the words are your life. What if you don't eat the words? You don't live. They are your life. And they will prolong your days in the land of promise. You get to live longer there. You get to do more there. You get to experience more of the blessing. You get to flow more in the covenant. You get to influence more people. A lot of good comes out of just simply doing what he asks us to do. Remember, step forward. Take it in faith. I'm going to lead you in to your promised land. May God help us as a team, as a group, as a church, as a body of believers find the promised land he's called us to. And may we fulfill that, and may his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? You've been very kind to me this morning, laughing at bad jokes and listening to boring introductions. And everybody say, hey, he's done. Praise God. Father, <laughs> thank you that you're taking us on a journey together. Lord, I pray that you'll inspire this faith in our hearts that says, I don't want to get left behind. I don't want to be left out. I want to be a part of what's happening. I don't care if it's a work day or a youth event or an outreach to the community or a jubilee celebration, whatever it is that you've called this congregation to, I want to be a part of it. And I want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would blend us as a family. Give us a unified view. Give us leaders who will constantly know you personally, intimately, as Moses and Joshua did, that they would spend time on their mount with you, receiving direction and purpose and instruction for us, and that you will align us with faith into that vision that you provide. And Lord, caution us if we ever try to turn it into a democracy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.